welcome welcome to yeah. another episode of you should read this with the inimitable tom vandaluba and the inimitable me rich dathton uh we are going to discuss another selection uh, by tom which i'm very grateful for and that is the palliative society have you got a dutch version there yeah, I, I for our uh, Dutch viewers and listeners, uh, I'm not even going to. Well, <laughs> by Byung Chul Hang, uh, Byung Chul something like that. Uh, this guy, who is a, a Korean-born professor of philosophy and cultural studies, who teaches at the Berlin University of Arts, uh, and the author of more than more than twenty books. Um, yeah, I absolutely love this 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 short volume. Uh, the palliative society but again i think given it was your uh suggestion maybe you can fill us in uh with the backstory of how you came to this book and why you thought we should cover it yeah i um it's a little bit coincidence so i um i, I just showing you another book okay uh in german that's one of his uh, earlier books about the burnout society and i only knew it from uh from let's say germany so i thought okay I really liked it because right. for me, he's somebody who um, uh, writes in a very dense way. So all his books are are, are very are very small, let's say mm. very thin. Uh, so all all very thin books, um, but there's enormous density. So then then I thought, okay, nobody ever talks about this guy, uh, and then suddenly I I saw in the Netherlands uh, that there was a translation. They were they were translating his. Uh, his uh, his work and then i reviewed it in dutch and i said okay it's interesting and, and then suddenly i saw him over and over all the place so sometimes it just takes time um uh, especially let's say german speaking uh let's say or german literature when it's not translated you don't see it and you only mm. see it in the country itself or in the german speaking area uh, but I think he's one of the most uh, interesting people around at the moment. Uh, and what I find fascinating is that this guy comes from South Korea and then then moves to Germany to study Heidegger, which is it's like if we would move to South Korea or Japan and, 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 and move there to study a certain philosopher, and then he becomes a professor of philosophy in Germany, wow. uh, which is already a brilliant starting point. Uh, and what I also like is that he he writes about about topics of our current society, and yeah. he he puts them in a historical perspective. Uh, but he has written an excellent book. It's called Info Info yeah, Info Infocracy. It's about our whole uh, data uh, society and our mass surveillance. Uh, where he refers to Zuboff, an American professor who is pretty well known. Surveillance mm. society. She wrote so he's he has he he takes the the current topics and he connects them in a historical context and that's why I thought okay uh, I I choose one uh, book which I think uh, is a topic uh, it's about pain and suffering and I think this is the book for Richard so I'm <laughs> I'm very curious uh, to hear your uh, takeaways and to discuss the book with you. Well, I mean, as I was saying just before we came on air, and we'll, we'll get into the the structure of the the book because I would like the way you you sort of pace through the structure and the uh, the way it hangs together. It, this resonated with me uh, 
at a level that I, I generally don't find philosophy does. I, I, I find philosophy as something to engage in in terms of reading, something that is intellectually rewarding. But I, I very rarely read a philosophy book where like every other page I'm like, yeah, you said it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Like, that's my experience. But, but this did, I really felt like this visceral connection to what, what he's talking about. Um, and uh, driven by the experience I've had of feeling pain and the value it has brought to my life. And again, again, and again, and again, the point is made in different ways that you cannot experience joy and happiness without experiencing pain. They're these twins that grow up together. And if you leave your uh, ability to experience pain stunted, then you will cap your ability to experience joy. And that has been absolutely my experience, but I've not read any other philosophical work that's, that's really gone deep on that point and explored pain. And now I've, of course, now discovered, having read this, that he obviously references a number of other works which deal um, with pain extensively, it, it would see. Um, so perhaps this is a doorway into a, a whole field of, of philosophy that perhaps I wasn't uh, aware of before reading this. Um, so yeah, so that off the bat, that's my, um, my reaction to the book. What's also perhaps interesting to say is that um, uh, books on philosophy can be very complicated mm. and very difficult to read. Uh, so not only the amount of pages, which is, let's say, if he writes a book, it's always less than 100 pages. Um, and this density uh, is, is, is still readable. So it, the opposite is more or less the case. And he also describes this. He says... Um, every sentence I write should stand for itself. So I always said, okay, it's like you're reading, you, you could quote more or less every second sentence and you could put it, the sentence on the wall. And I think uh, I, I have never seen somebody who does this in such an extreme way. So, so I, I mean, I didn't discuss this with him, but I, what I would be interesting is, does he end up with a lot of more pages and then he skips and skips and skips. And then at a certain moment, uh, this is, this is the leftover, but there's such a density in, in what is left over in those hundred pages that, that you're reading all the time is, Oh yes, I would, I could quote this. Yes. I could put this sentence on the wall. And that's something which I, I never had in such an extreme way. Uh, like like I have this with his uh, uh, work, and it's not only this book. He does this over and over again. Yeah, <laughs> I always felt like this ought to be a rule of philosophers. You're not you're not allowed to write books any longer than this. Um, and I think the serious point is there. This could get to so many more readers uh, in this form uh, than you know, obviously the standard philosophical text. So how should we do this? Should we do? Do you want to kind of just step through them? The outline and the, the flow of the book. I think. Um, let, I mean, we we can decide our uh, together. But let's say. I mean, there are, I don't know, ten chapters or something, and 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 we don't have to cover them all. Uh, but it's always pain in connection with something, with truth, or um, dialectic, or uh, happiness, etc. So I think. Um, uh, Perhaps you just start by by picking, let's say, the first example or sentence or chapter where you really thought, oh, 
this is really great to share. Um, but I can also start. I think it's uh, the main thing is that he just says, uh, we live in a society where we don't want to deal with pain anymore. We live in a superficial, happy society uh, and everything should be positive. So, so this duality of of you you can't have only the positive side or you you especially need a negative side to value the positive is something which he he puts in in, in a lot of different dimensions in perspective um and he just says okay we just we just try to avoid pain in all kind of different uh, fields and that's not good because yeah. that's that's the main essence of being human, which yes. is a good connection to, yeah, uh, to your podcast. Yes, exactly. And and right at the top, so his his first chapter is algophobia, which is a word I didn't know before, which means uh, fear of uh, pain. And and that's his diagnosis, as you say. Uh, the the line here, today: a universal algophobia rules, a, a universal fear of pain rules, a generalized fear of pain. The ability to tolerate pain is rapidly diminishing. Uh, the consequence of this algophobia is a permanent anesthesia, which I thought was it. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant okay. sentence. Yeah, exactly. You're so right about the way he constructs it. I hadn't thought of that, but of course, that is how he can create such a, a short book is this dedication to uh, dense sentences. That are also accessible, or also, also highly readable. And then he goes on in the in the second chapter, I suppose, to lay out a little bit of the history, and talks about you know previous societies where torture was commonplace, where pain was out in the open. We experienced uh, pain as part of life, um, and then this movement to to discipline, this evolution of society towards a disciplined societies where pain is is pushed into the prison system and it's it's taken out of public view and the, the way that we uh, experience pain changes and it's it, it's less uh, it, it is it's less evident in day-to-day -day life it's 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 it's, it's, it's less public um, and then this evolution from a disciplined society to the what he calls the neoliberal performance society that reifies happiness and there's that pain is inconsistent with performance and i think and both of us of course work in business and that's something that's that's so certainly resonated with me you know, in in a business world obsessed with performance we don't want to acknowledge pain you know we don't want to let the the hairs running right we don't want to we don't we don't want to touch into anything <laughs> that might bring up emotion that might bring up pain uh, we just want to focus on performance. We just want to focus on the bottom line. Uh, uh, so I, I, I like the way he laid that out in that sort of historical context. Yeah, what is also perhaps uh, important to add for those who are familiar with the work of Foucault is if you talk about discipline, uh, he's, he's a big fan of Foucault. So he's referring in all his books to Foucault. Uh, and this whole idea of discipline, uh, just to add something to this, is that, I mean, the main thing about Foucault is that he compares, let's say, 
um, uh, pr the prison, but also uh, hospitals and, and factories and schools. And, and, and Foucault also refers to the architecture, architecture, for instance. So it's just closing down people somewhere to discipline them. Mm. Um, and and, and uh, I think this way of, of seeing these different timeframes, and then if you would, would say this, I think if you would only take one word for our current society, I think happy or happiness, or, and happy is for me superficial, it's not fulfillment fulfillment has this negative aspect of pain as well you have to suffer uh, to to find fulfillment but happiness is let's say being happy without any negative side of it so i think this whole idea of happiness or a happy society or it's all about happiness and about positivity etc i think that uh, that's an interesting way of putting this on a historical time line uh, to compare this with uh, Foucault for those who are familiar with Foucault. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's, he, he finishes this, this second chapter. The plethora of kinds of suffering falls down like an infinite blizzard on such a human being, just as the strongest lightning flashes of pain discharge on him. Only in this condition, always open to pain from all sides and down to the deepest level, can he be open to the subtlest and highest kinds of happiness. And uh, he's quoting Nietzsche there. Yeah, um, yeah because I, Nietzsche also says uh, uh, pain and happiness are brother and sister, twins. Yeah, twins. Uh, they, grow, they grow together. Yeah, so, I love that. Um, and you can't, you, can't, you can't separate them. But you also see it in yin and yang, eh? in the in the Asian, mm. uh, let's say, um, uh, societies, um, that that you can't have only half of it. And let's say in our very, let's say, modern society, dominated by let's say, especially American way of thinking, is that we only want to have the positive stuff. Yeah, and we we avoid any way of contradictions, difficult difficulties and then and then he just splits this in a lot of different uh, chapters uh, it's about truth it's about uh, literature it's about dialectics ethics etc and then he shows again and again that we that we don't want to confront ourselves with with difficult stuff negative stuff uh, yeah. And in the beginning of the book, and I think that's also a good starting point, he talks about feel-good art, and he's quoting Adorno. And that's also what you see nowadays. In the past, you had theater and, and art, etc., and it was kind of mirror. You wanted to be confronted, mm. and you wanted, you wanted to be, let's say, in a way also... I wouldn't say left alone with your thoughts, but you would, you would, if you go to a theater, you want to be confronted and, and, and you want to show, want to, to get a mirror. So I, I go to the theater to, to, to be left alone with questions about our society and good literature, uh, does this, it, it, it leaves you with questions, uh, to think about about moral questions, about our society, about truth, etc. 
and 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 it's not about it's not about going to the theater and and just laughing all the time mm. uh, because it's so funny. Uh, no, it's serious stuff, and the serious stuff is much more interesting than the funny stuff. Yeah, or the funny stuff has a has another layer in it. Yes, that, that you laugh, and then at a certain point you still laugh, but it's not to laugh about, and you realize that it's not funny. Mm. There's also this this tradition of humor where it's very serious humor. Yeah, um, and I think I think. To take feel good art as an example is a good low starting point to show the point he wants he wants to make. Yeah. In the book. Yeah. yeah. Um in the third chapter survival, he starts to analyze our experience of of COVID and links it to our obsession with with survival he talks about how life is completely paralyzed into survival and this this fear of pain he links with fear of death um but as much as we're algophobic we're also uh thanat what is it he he introduced this new word which is fear of death uh, thantophobic is it and that we we also f- we also fear death and that pain he says somewhere else is like a a mini death <laughs> right yeah. and and that's absolutely my experience of pain like a little part of us dies when we feel pain and but that also releases us that that somehow lightens this, our soul right it, it gives us a little bit more space to feel to feel joy and and the fact that as a society we were so willing to enter into quarantine and, and lockdown and have all of these um privileges taken away and have our lives reduced and the devastation that that caused is linked to this obsession with survival. Phantophobia, that's the word. Phantophobia, fear of death. He says algophobia is ultimately phantophobia. Um and I and I, that resonated for me. We yeah, we uh we don't want to look at death, we don't want to accept death death, and as he describes it, we we reduce life to a biological process that must be optimized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that this whole idea that that, that we want to hack our bodies to optimize our biological experience on earth um without a, an appreciation for a a metaphysical dimension as he puts it a, a sort of richer understanding of what it means to be alive digital hypochondria constant self measurement with the aid of health and fitness app degrades life into a mere function you also see this about long liberty, yeah? That yeah. Uh, let's say in the end, it's also a reaction uh, of our sectorization that that um, we want to have an eternal life, but we don't realize that if we would have an eternal life, life is not life anymore. Uh, and 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 and, but it's also see what you see in Buddhism. So I think in this uh, chapter, you see also his Asian Buddhist uh, probably background. 
Um, but if you, for instance, read Dalai Lama, etc., this obsession of the Western culture to live in the future all the time and to try to avoid death means that your 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 let's say in 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 different small episodes you're dying. Mm. Uh, and and I think he uh, he explains this and 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 writes this. He says. Also, for instance, we become older um, without becoming. I would, I would, I would, let's say, as it, if I would translate it, m- being mature. So mm. it's 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 also okay in a kind of mental way. We also stay forever young, and mm. we want to be, let's say, from a superficial way, we want to be forever young. So if we're sixty, we're wearing. The genes of a of a of a sixteen year old. Uh, we we want to have a skin of a of a twenty year old when we are eighty, uh, which which becomes a little bit ridiculous also if you if you watch this. So we find it very difficult to become old, and he says, but it has to 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 do that we are not able to finish our lives in a in a in a way of finding fulfillment mm. so so this reflection on where is life about because we we we, we push this away we don't want to be conf- confront ourselves with the end of life we don't want to be confront ourselves with what is fulfillment what is what is another layer now we want to be on a superficial happiness level and we want to be we want to stay on the superficial superficial happiness level forever young so we want to we want to be we we don't want to grow up uh, also in a mental way, yeah. Which I which I think he um, he explains in a very um, um, good way, and, and and that's also that we that we push this away. We don't want to talk about this. We won't want to be, confront ourselves with this. Um, it's 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 something which we totally neglect. Yeah. And I think you're right to make the link with Buddhism because, of course, the Buddhists have uh, very strong traditions of talking sure. about death, yeah, uh, and that being a part a spiritual practice is to. Is to but the Stoicist uh, tradition as well, huh? Mm. So you're in the Stoic. Uh, I mean, that's. I mean, I don't have to explain you, but let's say it's it's just to think about the worst thing which can happen, and then ask yeah. yourself, okay, if if all the worst stuff happens in your life. Write it down, and then okay, what's next is something which, if you would just ask somebody uh, uh, during a dinner party, you were not be invited anymore, because that's something we don't want to discuss. This, yeah, I think I think that's right. I think there is an acceptance of suffering as being part of life, and and confronting our suffering as. Uh, as an important philosophical practice, right, that comes from Stoicism. But I still think that Stoicism still has this, to me at least, there is some embedded reticence to really to really look at pain per se, right? There's this idea in Stoicism that um, we want, you know, we want to control and manage our feelings, right? And that's a really important idea in Stoicism. And of course, there is the, there is the need for, for us to be able to do that, to navigate life. And it's, it's an important, important point that, is made in stoicism, but we, we we also must surrender to our pain, right? It's also very important to surrender to pain, to yield to pain, to embrace that sort of feminine aspect and 
go with it. Like I was, I, I said to you before we came online, I was reading a newspaper article last night and I just was bawling with tears and I just let the tears stream over like some article in the newspaper. But that is so important to, to make, to let that go, to, to engage in that grief and create the space for, for more joy in my life. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, personally, I believe that. Uh, the sentence, I really liked it, this chapter. In my Dutch book, it's on 39. Right. He writes, the paradox of the pain syndrome is that we, the, the less pain we have, the more we suffer. Yes. So that's, uh, let's say also our level of acceptance or resistance or, or coping with pain becomes lower and lower all the time. Mm. Which I think is something which is, um, which is really true. Um, um, but especially in our, let's say, Western uh, world where we don't really suffer, which doesn't mean that there aren't people suffering. Right. Yeah. Well, we have a, well, I think we don't, we don't have material suffering, right, in the same way that other societies do, but I, we do suffer. Um, and we, ch and so often we choose suffering over pain. Um, and we, we'd rather, we'd rather endure chronic suffering over time than experience acute pain. And the route out of the chronic suffering often is to yield to the pain that's yeah. beneath the suffering, in my experience. What I find very interesting is uh, the, the next chapter about uh, a kind of, um, he, he quotes uh, a lot of German uh, literature all the time. Eh? So he quotes mm. uh, Ernst Jünger, uh, who has written about uh, pain. And then, and then he makes a connection to, um, yeah, do you call it dullness or something like that? That he says, okay, if you really, if it just goes by and if you, it's a kind of passive consuming attitude. It's also a kind of modular, uh, a modular pain, so to say. So, and, and, and we do it to ourselves. So by, by just avoiding difficult stuff, difficult books, uh, the difficult uh, writings, etc. We go for the superficial stuff, um, uh, but this, but it's also it, it creates it's kind of it, it's boring. So if you really would ask somebody, and it's also a confrontation, you you would um, uh, you see if you if you would let's say I stay with this dinner party, and you, and you would ask somebody, or you meet somebody, we ask, what do you do for work, more or less? So it's about what kind of status do you have, and, and what's the last uh, thing you bought, and uh, what's your last holiday? This is the kind of uh, uh, discussion uh, we have, and it's and it's common ground. It's it's a kind of small talk. If you would just enter at a dinner party, say, okay, what's the last philosophical book you read? Yeah. It's really impressive. you. <laughs> I would say, hey, what are you doing here? Yeah. So so which um, which which, which I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that if you, if you join a dinner party, and you are a guest, that's the, that's the, that's the, 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 the starter. Uh, that should be the starter. But, but, but it's still also a question. 
where do these really profound discussions take place or do they do they do they take place at all or or do we just did we skip them mm. So yeah. what is what is what is what is what is the superficial stuff we spend our time with, and what's the profound stuff? What are what are the really good conversations we we remember? Yeah. And it and and I mean, when are conversations really interesting? Often, when you have opposite opinions, when there is an acceptance for the person, but you have a lively discussion. Doesn't matter on what topic that's interesting and then and then you have to work on the discussion because somebody is challenging you yeah if you have a superficial discussion and we we exchange that we that we both uh liked our last holidays and you won't remember that discussion yeah no that's right and, it, and it, I, i'm not sure exactly where which chapter it's in but he talks about the the likability that we create that everything's about how whether we like it you know we've, we've yeah. reduced we've reduced, <laughs> reduced society to um expressing our like uh and we want everything to be likable right and i think that and capitalism has, sort of is a big driving force of that as i see it you know we want to make everything likable and as unoffensive as possible and you've got to you now see that in in social media you know we we cancel people who cause too much outrage and pain for people um we create feeds that just present us with information that we uh that w- that we like um we live in these these likable bubbles right and I, yeah and and that bleeds over uh, into into personal lives we we seem to well it's back to the same point we have less tolerance for pain in general and we have less tolerance for pain in conversation uh, and it is painful to be confronted with a belief that differs to our own, um, that that cuts to um, the heart of our values in a way that we we find difficult to accept. Those are those are painful experiences, and um, the digital realms that we uh, inhabit, especially, anesthetise us to pain. Which, of course, is where he started in the in the first chapter. Yeah, there's also this uh, whole idea of the echo chamber. Huh? You're in a kind of echo chamber and you have the algorithm and social media, but we do this also in the, in, in normal society. So, yeah. so we don't want to be confronted with people who have a different opinion, but we, 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 we meet people with the same opinion. I mean, as you also see, let's say the political development in, in the U S in the past, let's say it was not a problem to have another political color. So Democrats and Republicans in the same family discuss topics. And that was okay. And then you have this kind of uh, polarization going on. And at a certain time in families, people don't talk. If you're a Republican, you don't talk to somebody who's a Democrat anymore. Uh, and, and that's on the political uh, field. But, but if, he, if he, for instance, in the chapter, pain as truth, he says, and that's also an excellent quote to my point of view, um, uh, truth means that that there there's pain inside because mm. the truth has a has this aspect of pain and yep. because it's confronting but it's also confronting or it's, it's if you tell somebody something that can be very confronting but it also can be a starting point for a discussion yeah it also has to do with for instance and he dies to put it very personally he he he's quoting and um alain badiou 
and 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 it's a it's a it's a commercial, and it says about love. Uh, it says um, about dating site. You can fall in love without pain. Right. But 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 I mean that's that's classical. I mean it's a very classical topic that pain or that love always has this duality of suffering mm. because somebody doesn't love you you love and then you suffer and you cry as a teenager it's a romanticism etc but now we want to fall in love but we don't want to be neglected we don't want to be we don't want to have the answer no i don't love you but that's where liter- literature comes from uh, yeah. about suffering about uh, a writer who says oh i love this woman uh, is is this? But she doesn't love me, uh, and and you can't you can't have it. And then he says, uh, without pain, we have never loved or ever lived, mm. which which is in a way also true. So the more you have suffered, the more you value life. Topic we all we yeah. also often see in literature that people who suffer enormously. Take Viktor Frankl as an example in the surviving the concentration camps. This energy and this 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 will to live uh, would have been a totally different context without this concentration camp. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. an extreme example, which doesn't mean uh, you should apply to be in a concentration camp or 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 be jealous of Viktor Frankl. But but Viktor Frankl wouldn't be the person. He has become without his experience he describes about the concentration camp is an extreme example, but it's about about love. I think is a very good example. Everybody really has experienced him or herself in his own life. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And 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 we don't get rejection in the same way, right? In the, in the digital realm, right? We, we we just ghosted. We just don't hear from that person. They don't say. They yeah, always swipe. Yeah, I mean, we, Tinder, and, and we, Tinder apps, etc. It's not like we go to the dance. We ask the girl, and the girl says no, and we feel yeah. the pain of it. It's like the girl yeah. doesn't respond, so I'll just keep swiping, right? It's yeah, or in our, I don't know. I mean, it uh, depends on your kind of relationship. Uh, uh, let's say you are you fall you 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 fall in love when you're very young, and she says, "No, I don't love you." Sorry, yeah? that's the example of the dance, mm-hmm. and we all we suffered. Yeah, uh, and 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 uh, and we had to deal with it. And perhaps we cried for nights and nights, and nobody could say could help us at that moment, and we had to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's not a dozen other girls on our phone we can console ourselves with. And, but yeah, right. It's it's a different world. Um, he also the the other point that, that that's made in the this this chapter. I think we're on the same chapter. This is the the oh the poetics of pain. Um, this link with healing. Um, pain causes the mind to erect a healing livable counterworld in which everything appears in a new seductive light. The tremendous tension imparted to the intellect by its desire to oppose and counter pain makes him see everything he now beholds in a new light. And the unspeakable stimulus which any new light imparts to things is often sufficiently powerful to deny all temptation to self-destruction. 
and to make continuing to live seem to the sufferer extremely desirable. Pain enlivens, enlivens the imagination. For Nietzsche, art is a saving sorceress with the power to heal and can spirit away that is unbearable and terrifying about existence. Um, so they're starting uh, to, he starts to draw out this link between pain and healing. Um, but also but, the the ability. Well, sorry, go on. No, no, it's uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in in the same chapter because I think it's all it's also interesting to make the link to where you still see uh, these works. I mean, he's he, he's he's talking about Schubert and uh, mm. and 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 the songs of Schubert. But I don't know if people are familiar with this and the Winterreise. Um, uh, but 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 let's say if you just take uh, uh, just um, uh, contemporary music, and if you talk about love songs or suffering, or 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 losing somebody, and if you talk about about great hits, mm. then then there often is something where people suffer, yeah, and have lost somebody, and then great songs are written. Uh, if you just if you just write. Uh, uh, about about just let's say watching the sky and uh, writing about nature that also can be an excellent song but there are a lot of literature and songs uh, where where people are angry or feel pain or injustice etc yeah and then and then and then great music is written and if nothing would would happen in in the life of this musician uh, if they wouldn't suffer from injustice or 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 pain, those songs wouldn't be written. So I mean, he 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 is the one who takes the classical examples, huh? uh, and Kafka and uh, and Schubert. Uh, it's very German uh, focused, uh, but but uh, just take modern pop music as a very good example. Mm. Yeah, and this is yeah. Well, it's, um, it sort of echoes what we were saying earlier that the the importance of are having this component of pain and it's it's our allowing us to access our pain that provides us with healing great art is healing um and uh, and he says later in this chapter within the palliative society pain is not a navigable river not a narrative flow leading man down to the sea but a dead end street um, that made a uh, a lot of sense to me. Like in our current society, yeah, pain is not a navigable river. It's something it's we try to avoid, right? It is a dead end. Oh, don't go down there. Stay away from there. That's a, that's a that's a dead end. Rather than pain being part of the flow of life, being part of the river we're all in. Uh, yeah, just and, and let it let it flow, or let it yeah. let it lean into it, or embrace yeah. it, embrace it, instead of running away from it. Mm. And so, w what he also says is in this chapter about uh, dialectic. I don't know mm. if I pronounced correctly. Yeah, Hegel, uh, Hegel, dialectic. Uh, it's he says, okay, the the. Pain is the is the motor is the is the engine of the of the dialectic 
development uh, of of the brain or of the of the of 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 your thinking uh, and that's i think something which we also already all have experienced that if you walk away from it uh, it doesn't solve it it doesn't solve yeah. your problems you have to you have to accept it you have to let it go you have to confront yourself with it you have to take time and 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 i mean you can put it in a in in a in a in a kind of um cupboard for yourself a kind of mental mental game but the question is okay how how do i react to what happens in my life can i deal with this does it make me stronger does it make me more mature mm. does it develop does it develop my way of thinking does it does it develop my maturity or 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 do i run away f- from it and 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 do i stay forever young and immature yeah yeah that's right and and something he doesn't touch on but i think um is an important aspect here is is this idea of embodiment because at least for me pain is something i experience in my in my body in my whole body and i think he doesn't touch on this but uh, but for me that it feels like that's another trend that's part of what we're talking about here part of the palliative society is a disembodied society yeah. a society where we're we're in our heads right everything is a is a mental activity uh yeah. and we we we're not we're not encouraged to feel into our into our bodies to connect connect into our bodies and that that's where the pain is yeah, he writes about it he he, he says uh, we don't touch each other anymore ah okay he does write about it yeah. okay so um i don't know i think it's ontology of pain or something or no eth- ethics of pain um and 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 he he, he says the other becomes an object mm. um the other disappears um closeness means and there's also this framing of 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 covid where we where we have this idea of social distancing so which is interesting because if you have this this um let's say religious tradition or if you take lepra of um, mother teresa or 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 caring about about the people who suffer uh these were the monasteries etc and the hospitals with the with the religious background where the door was always open they they didn't say no we we, we don't want you right we keep social distance so so that's also something we 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 push people away we're we're not embracing people in our society and 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 touch them yep um which uh, mother Teresa did and said, I know I, I care for the people who have lepra. I I I I get them from the streets. And that's the opposite of social distancing. Yeah. And that's he and that's what he describes. So he says it becomes also in that way very a kind of artificial distant society. Um and he says the 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 empathy uh uh goes away. It's a kind of voyeuristic. I don't know if it's a, yeah, a nice right word for this. Uh, pleasure to see the suffering of others. 
is perhaps not enough to to understand this 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 diminishing of the of the empathy but but the other disappears in 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 our society because we want to eliminate pain as such but you yeah. also see this in a lot of societies where disabled persons or elderly etc depending on how much money a society has you put them away yeah. you put them in an elderly home or you you put people who are disabled you put them away you don't see them because it's 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 difficult yeah it's uh the tram has to stop a little bit longer to mm. uh to get uh, the wheelchair on board mm. uh so so this this whole idea of empathy um uh, uh disappears yeah but it also has to do with i think the secularization of our society because in the past we were we were told from the pulpit every week that we had to care about our neighbor at least when the person had the same religion yeah yeah well that's right and, and something i suppose yeah doesn't we don't really get into in this book but that's that's also i think there's a link between happiness and and our ability to feel pain and and there's equally a link between happiness and our and the extent to which we're virtuous in life but often to be virtuous we have to experience some pain right but, but to, to engage in virtuous acts is often to engage in, in in suffering right um if it's virtuous to look after our elderly pay, p- parents let's say within the house and i'm not saying i'm going to do this by the way but that's going to take some suffering on my part to experience their yeah. um decline uh firsthand that but would be virtuous they... and it may lead to my happiness but it's going to come with suffering yeah and it's also what we also know is that let's say connection uh or connecting to others is much easier when you when when you suffer together or someone is suffering Mm. Let's say if you would if you would if you'd visit a friend in the hospital who is severely ill, there will be there will be a kind of maturity in this relationship because visiting somebody in the hospital is really ill and doesn't know if perhaps he or she will survive. You will have a different conversation. Yeah. But what you hear from people who work in hospitals is that people find it. I also experienced this myself. Find it very difficult to visit people. In the hospital, because if you visit somebody who is dying, you are confronted with the fact, hey, memento mori, that you also could be dying. Yeah, yeah, you also yeah, could yeah. be the one who is in the hospital bed. So better don't visit this person yeah. Yeah, in, yeah, the, yeah. in the in the hospital. Yeah, but we, if we really want to connect, then we should be there eh, in friendships when friends are suffering, when they are in divorce. When they have problems with their children, when they have other shit uh, in their lives, uh, then we should connect with them and call them and say, hey, Richard, how are you? Uh, but it's difficult because it confronts ourselves with with that part of life. We That's why I always ask, and you see this all the time in social media also plays a dominant role in that. Uh, we're always on the sunny side of life. Yeah. It's always we are always happy, and and we only post these kind of impressions when we are happy, which gives us a kind of common understanding that all the others are always always happy, and we are the losers who are suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And and related to that, and and, and I love this. I mean, he he de- he deals a lot with the sort of digital realm um, in the ontology of pain. Uh, this chapter, and something he says here, which I think is interesting: um, the pain of the nearness of distance is alien to the digital order. So there's this paradox here. Where on the one hand, uh, we we've lost close connection with people. But through the digital realm, we can we can feel like we can feel like we're connected, right? We have this illusion of connectedness yeah. with others. And what does Mark Zuckerberg talk about? You know, connecting the world. But the the pain of the nearness of distance is alien because we we're not bringing close to us. Oh, that person is not with me. We're not allowing ourselves to feel that the loss of of distance. From another, because we can instantly see their face, or we can instantly send them a message. Um, whereas in 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 reality, those these people aren't in our real physical lives; they're distance. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pain of the of the nearness of of distance is alien to the digital order. I I like that. Um, the digital order transforms nearness into the absence of distance, so that it is no longer painful under the compulsion of availability everything is rendered accessible and consumable the digital habitus is everything must be available at once the telos of the digital order is total availability this order lacks the slowness of the hesitant shyness in the face of what cannot be done yeah, everything is there all the time and we don't we don't we don't experience the pain yeah. of distance what I what I find, uh, let's say, is a kind of um, of of climax uh, in this last chapter, which he which is called the last human being. I don't know how they translate it in English. Uh, the last, last, the last man. You were a bit. Last, yours yours is more more politically translated. Uh, okay. Correct. Last man. And if you, for instance, would if you would because I mean I have to translate it. If you would, for instance, read the last two sentences where it is about the painless. Life, I found also from a from a language point of view, excellent, and and I think uh, is a kind of um, yeah, this kind of density we talk about all the time uh, is 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 shown at its at its best. Yeah, so you well, know I can what I mean. The English, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the pain free life of permanent happiness is not a human life, life which tracks down and drives. Out its own negativity cancels itself out. Death and pain belong together. In pain, death is anticipated. If you seek to remove all pain, you will have to also abolish death. But life without death and pain is not human life. It is undead life. God, and wasn't didn't it sort of feel like that at elements times during the pandemic? You felt like you're, you know, you're walking with the undead. Um, in order to survive. Humans are abolishing themselves. They may succeed in becoming immortal, but only at the expense of life itself. <laughs> yeah, powerful stuff. And also, I'm mean, always a little bit jealous, I have to say. I have to admit that, for instance, this last sentence, I mean, would I be able to write in this way? I'm not, um, and we will be immortal. 
but at the cost at life itself. I mean, mm. um, it's uh, it's uh, really I find it really amazing. And what's also interesting uh, is that the, let's say the, the the books he refers to, uh, um, it, it's not a lot. It's um, it's perhaps uh, also only a hundred remarks. Uh, but also uh, the tough stuff or the mm. difficult stuff. There's a lot of Hayekar, uh, Jünger, Nietzsche, Adorno, Foucault, um, but also modern ones like uh, Eva Illus. I don't know if you know her. Yeah. Um, a professor um, who, who teaches, for instance, in Israel, uh, writes about uh, suffering, about love. Uh, so, so it's also an introduction. If you really like the stuff, there's enough. Um, um, there's enough in. Uh, let's say further, further reading. Uh, if you uh, if you uh, search for the more profound uh, uh, books, so to say. Yeah, and also think because I've read Heidegger um, to some degree in the past, and and what he does is he brings a, a modern lens on. So he he helped me, I think, to interpret Heidegger, for example. Yeah, it's difficult uh, stuff. So, um, and I mean, Heidegger, yeah. <laughs> even students of philosophy, right, will admit they find Heidegger difficult. So, and we can uh, we can review if you want. Sign on site. It's in the bookshelf here. But um, but let's say I have I read it in German, and then if I would have to translate it in English, I think there I would really reach to my uh, to my limits. Um. But so I, I really think, let's say he, he discusses really difficult stuff, uh, but in a, in a very accessible way, which is for for really deep philosophy, uh, 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 very very difficult. I mean, it's it's and I, I, I let's say it's and what we also said in the beginning, it's very thin. It only has hundred pages, but it must be a hell of a lot of work. To uh, to to create this density in such a good readable way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He, um, it's a, it's a he's a he's a very talented writer. Okay, all right. Well, mission complete. We've uh, we reviewed the Palliative Society. Uh, thank you, Tom, for for the yeah, suggestion. Yeah, thank you, Richard. And uh, it's really having me think. We should. Uh, Stick to these philosophical texts. I'm really enjoying them. Thanks once again. Yeah, thank you, Richard. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Read This with me, Richard Atherton, and my fantastic co-host, Tom van der Luba. If any of the material in this show resonated with you, if you're thinking, perhaps, how could I take these ideas and apply them in my own leadership or or take them forward into my own organization, then I would love to have a conversation with you about that. If that feels like that could be a valuable use of your time, then please do click on the Calendly link in the description for this episode. That will allow you to book a slot directly into my calendar. And I hope to speak to you soon.